0: Ban Ki-moon on Around the Rings Radio. Hello everybody, I'm Around the Rings editor, Ed Hula. And I'm Around the Rings reporter, Aaron Bauer. And we're both going to spend a few minutes talking with Ban Ki-moon, the eighth secretary general of the United Nations, now enjoying a a retired life in Seoul, Korea. He has just created the Ban Ki-moon Center for Global Citizenship, but he's been involved with the IOC and the Olympics through the years as secretary general run with the Olympic torch. Uh, He is also the new chairman of the IOC Ethics Commission. So we're going to talk with him about his Olympic work as well as some of the initiatives that he's following in uh, in his retirement from the Secretary General slot. Aaron, first question.
1: You've left the United Nations and domestic politics in Korea and you've opened up your global center in Vienna. What's next for you as a private citizen, and what do you hope to accomplish with this opening of the center?
2: Since my retirement from the United Nations in December 2016, during the last one year, I have been doing almost the same similar activities which I had been doing, mm-hmm. uh, trying to foster, the raise the awareness of the importance of uh, implementing climate change agreement, gender empowerment, uh, sustainable development. Of course, as chairman of the Ethics Commission of the International Olympic Committee, I have been working very closely with uh, President Thomas Baha of IOC <laughs> to use sports for peace and development. Now, as you uh, are aware, I have established a Ban Center for Global citizens mm-hmm. in Austria. It was launched uh, by a Federal Chancellor of Austria Sebastian Kurz, together with me and uh, Heinz Fischer, former President of Austria. Mm-hmm. The main purpose of uh, <coughs> this Pan-German Center is to use our leadership experience and advocacy to promote and to foster global citizenship among young people. I have been observing during the last 10 years, dealing with uh, world political leaders, that one of the main reasons why we are still suffering from, uh, with so many uh, problems and conflicts around the world is that uh, clearly the world's people are lacking Seriously, the global citizenship. So it's very important. We have to target the youth group and the women group to foster global citizenship. By the time they are, they will be in a position to lead this country. This will, this con- world should be much more peaceful, much more prosperous, and uh, reconciliating.
0: What What do you teach someone to be a global citizen? What kind of things, what kind of qualities are, are missing that you think could be, uh, could be brought, brought into the youth of the world today?
2: I'll tell you one story. In 1962, when I was a high school boy, I had the unique and unexpected opportunity of meeting President John F. Kennedy at the White House. I vividly remember that that he told us, Uh, I was one of uh, 140 young uh, students from around the world. He was telling us that look, um, there are no national boundaries in this world. Of course, there were national boundaries, very high boundaries during the height of Cold War. But world leaders were not getting along well. But you young people, can do it, uh, it was uh, most inspiring even f- to a young, young boy without knowing much about the world. That has always been vivid in my memory. And that's exactly what uh, I have been witnessing as a Secretary General of the United Nations. The world leaders are lacking global citizenship. There are not many world leaders who are acting as global leaders. They are mostly acting like national leaders. So that's why I made up my mind that I should do much more to foster global citizenship among the peoples, particularly uh, targeting young people and women groups. They are our hope for our future.
1: Why is that global citizenship eroded in your minds to this state we're in right now?
2: Because they cared much more for their own short-term interest, particularly leadership people, people with the leadership uh, positions. When they do not foster, when do not act uh, as global leaders, uh, then they are just narrowly focusing on their national uh, agenda. Then it will be extremely difficult for the United Nations and the neighboring countries to help resolve uh, conflicts uh, between and among the countries. That's a very important subject now. We're
1: sitting here and we're less than two weeks out from the <coughs> Olympics opening here in South Korea. Um, you know, as, as the world's former top diplomat, how do you feel about seeing the games opening in your home country?
2: As one of the Korean citizens, I'm extremely uh, happy and encouraged that Korea is now going to uh, Winter Olympic Games in PyeongChang uh, from uh, uh, February 9th. And this will be the fourth uh, major sports event that Korea is uh, hosting. Uh, Summer Olympic Games in uh, uh, 1988, then we have already hosted uh, World Cup in 2002, and uh, now Win- Winter Olympic Games, and we also hosted international um, World Athletes uh, competition. So four major uh, world sports There's are now going to be there, major so games. Yeah, yes. Yeah,
1: yeah. With this Olympics, you can say it's similar to previous Olympics where there have been provocations beforehand. <clears throat> But things have calmed down during the Olympic period. In Seoul 88, we saw the end of the Eastern Bloc boycott, the US boycott (laughs) beforehand. And before Pyeongchang, we're seeing North Korea participate. Is this a landmark moment for the Olympics? Is this a landmark moment for South Korea, having North Korea coming to these games?
2: Certainly. It's going to be a landmark moment for Korean people. Uh, In fact, Uh, it is particularly meaningful and encouraging when the situation on the Korean peninsula has been one of the top global concerns. Uh, There were a lot of uh, speculations that uh, military action might take place uh, anytime on the Korean peninsula because of um, continuing North Korean provocations by testing nuclear weapons as well as uh, firing all sorts of uh, ballistic missiles now that the both the south and north korea have agreed to uh, march together in one team and we have organized one joint team in uh, women's uh, ice hockey this will provide even though it's going to be a very small opening it will provide a, definitely a good window for reconciliations between the South and North uh, Korean people. I sincerely hope that uh, this window will be led uh, to a bigger and larger and more meaningful and genuine uh, dialogue for the reconciliation as well as a denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula.
0: Is that, is that an ambitious expectation? How quickly do you think it will, will happen after?
2: The Olympics are over. In May sounds ambitious, but you should aim high. As athletes, they are uh, aiming high for uh, their best performance. Of course, it will be extremely difficult. I am a very practical person, and I have been experiencing all uh, these uh, difficulties. Since, uh, since the beginning of this North Korean nuclear development uh, program programs, in 1990s, I have been directly uh, negotiating with North Koreans or indirectly dealing with this as the Secretary General of the United Nations. Uh, therefore, I know that, uh, that the process will be extremely difficult. Uh, but uh, with the patience and flexibility and the firm commitment for peace on the Korean Peninsula, I think we can do it. That requires even tighter and much, much of coordination uh, among Korea, United States, China, and North Korea, Russia, and uh, Japan. Uh, this is my sincere, sincere hope.
0: You, you think it's a positive sign that uh, Shinzo Abe, the prime minister of Japan, has agreed to come to Korea for the opening?
2: It's an encouraging sign. And I sincerely hope that, again, not only Uh, His visit will be uh, very helpful in uh, making sure that uh, this uh, Olympic Games will be another very important place where uh, leaders of the world will get together. But it will also – his visit will also help uh, promote uh, the future-oriented relationship between Korea and Japan.
1: You said last week that there's a conciliatory mood right now. With North Korea participating in the Olympics, but you're unsure that that's going to last. Now, <coughs> what challenges are going to arise post Pyeongchang, and what needs to be done to keep this window you said is opening still open?
2: I can safely say that the Pyeongchang Olympic Games will be carried out uh, peacefully without much uh, problems. So that's uh, and I, I can tell you, uh, but the concern, my concern is that immediately after uh, PyeongChang games are over, if and when North Korea again provokes by test firing, ballistic missiles and other uh, provocative uh, uh, actions, then the atmosphere will suddenly become very tense. And that's my my concern. I sincerely hope that North Korea will really be very practical. uh, Then they should fully implement the all relevant Security Council resolution.
1: How much credit should the Olympics take for the opening of these talks? Is the Olympics driving the dialogue in the Korean Peninsula? or Is it merely existing in this?
2: I would like to uh, highly commend The leadership of uh, President Thomas Baha of IOC Mm -hmm. for his uh, very skillful and broad-minded and flexible uh, (coughs) negotiation with both um, South and North Korean uh, teams uh, to allow North Korea and North Korean team first of all uh, participate uh, in Olympic Games. As you may uh, remember The deadline have been already passed. Uh, North Koreans uh, have lost their opportunities. But I know that uh, President Baha has used his uh, extraordinary uh, privilege as the president of IOC uh, to allow North Korean team participate. And his ideas and suggestions and recommendations to both South and North Korean teams to organize uh, uh, a joint team and also uh, allowing so, so-called the wild cards which he is holding uh, to allow more North Korean uh, athletes participate. All these have been extremely helpful, extremely helpful. Then I really appreciate. Uh, as you know, I have been working very closely with uh, uh, Thomas Baha uh, during my time as a Secretary General. Uh, we've been working very closely for promotion of peace and development through sports.
0: Have you uh, given him any advice or particular counsel Mm -hmm. or expertise about Korea?
2: Since I was elected as chairman of ethics commission of IOC, I have met uh, two or three times uh, officially and informally and we exchanged the views how IOC can uh, help promote the reconciliatory uh, process through sports. This is exactly what he has demonstrated his leadership this time. And I'm uh, going to continue to uh, uh, maintain such kind of a consultation. Uh, This is not the end, Uh, there will be much more, uh, many more opportunities for sports uh, to be used as as one of the effective tools and means to promote the peace and the reconciliation between South and North.
0: If you could talk a little bit about the Ethics Commission and ethics and the IOC. Um, Why is it important for the IOC to pay attention to ethics? Does it need to pay uh, more attention and and, and know what's going on within the organization?
2: We're We're not living in a world of idealism, you know. Uh, nothing is ideal or perfect in this time, particularly when it comes to uh, <coughs> accountability and transparency of any organization, including IOC. It's important that the sports movement, Olympic movement, uh, should be carried out in uh, fair and objective and transparent and accountable manner. Uh, unfortunately, Some sports organizations like uh, FIFA and IOC, they have been uh, subject of criticism uh, involving uh, certain uh, irregular uh, practices or corruptive practices involving uh, inviting uh, the events to uh, certain countries or some. unfair and corruptive practices among and between the members and governments uh, or some uh, business uh, communities. So all in all, it's very important that the Olympic movement should be carried out in a fair and cleaner and much more transparent way. This is exactly what, why uh, Ethics Commission was created in 1999. Uh, over the uh, case of uh, uh, Winter Olympic Games in uh, Re- Salt, the, Lake uh, Salt Lake City. As a Secretary General, during last uh, 10 years, I have made it clear and one of the top priorities to make the whole United Nations organizations free of all these uh, uh, the corruptive practices and make it accountable and transparent, ethically, standing ethically highest standard, yeah.
1: Now, what would you have to say to the public who has lost confidence in the IOC over ethics-related matters that you bring up?
2: That's exactly why I am doing my best uh, to, as chairman of ethics commission, uh, that uh, all the IOC members, all the athletes, and all the spirit uh, of this IOC movement should be conducted in a very objective and transparent and accountable manner. That I'm going to uh, continue, yeah. How
0: much time do you expect that this work is going to take as being chairman of the Ethics Commission?
2: I, first of all, I have to uh, participate at least uh, twice in the IOC session where I report uh, the work of the ethics commission and you'll do that uh, i guess but, uh, in pyongyang yes uh, i'm going to uh, participate in ioc session on february 6th uh, and report uh, the work of the ethics commission this time i had already uh, extensive um, uh, discussions and consultation with uh, our staff of the uh, ethics commission including chief ethics and compliance officer and I'm now ready to uh, report. Uh, but as you know, um, we are not living in an ideal world. Uh, and anything can happen by any, anybody. So it's important that we foster uh, to the members of the IOC uh, that we must live in the highest level of ethical standard. Yeah.
0: The commission has just been newly elected. It's, it's changed yeah. under the IOC yeah. charter. <laughs> what can you say will be different, better about the Ethics Commission the way it's now being formed?
2: First of all, the role of the Ethics uh, Commission has been much more uh, strengthened with the full trust of uh, uh, IOC uh, members. Uh, and, IOC, uh, and I'm closely uh, coordinating uh, with the uh, executive board of uh, IOC, uh, chaired by uh, President Thomas Paha.: yeah.
0: Your work with the IOC uh, as UN Secretary General will continue under your successor. I think Mr. Guterres will be here in Pyeongchang for the opening ceremony. Yes. What, what is the role of the IOC and the United Nations? How do they work together? What is the best way for those?
2: During my time as Secretary General, the IOC was allowed to participate, uh, admitted as an official uh, observer of the United Nations General Assembly in 2009. And the General Assembly of the United Nations has adopted a very important uh, resolution, Sports for Peace and Development. And during my time again, the General Assembly, United Nations has designated April 6th every year as International Day for Sports. So on that day, the president of IOC, Thomas Baha, or before that, uh, Jacques Rogge, and I used to convene um, commemorative uh, ceremonies and discussions uh, to. Uh, uh, promote the sports for peace and the uh, sustainable development. And we even the coordinated, the had the partnership with uh, His Holiness uh, Pope Francis. Thomas Baha and I went to uh, uh, Vatican and uh, three of us, including Pope Francis, we had a big uh, international uh, meeting just to emphasize how importantly uh, how important contribution sports can give contribute to the promotion of uh, reconciliation peace and sustainable development and also uh, uh, transparency of uh, organization that's uh, quite uh, i'm very much uh, proud of all this kind of uh, initiative which i have been dealing with uh, uh, thomas baha As you know, um, uh, I'm a firm believer uh, in power of sports and dynamics of sports which can instantly mobilize a passion and energy and the fairness and objectivity and the justice even uh, through sports. This is a very important means uh, to promote the peace.
1: Going off that, you see that you've really emphasized sport to reach all people as you turn as UN Secretary General. We saw the joint creation of the Refugee Olympic Team for Rio. Where does this Olympics fit in with the state of the world, the erosion of global citizenship, as you have talked about? And where, as the world focuses on South Korea, where can it go from here?
2: <clears throat> That's a very good question. Uh, first of all, um, uh, we discussed uh, this matter in depth: uh, how these sports can really contribute to the works of the United Nations. The United Nations is dealing with all the a- spectrums of um, the human society, this world, starting from peace, development, human rights, and in all these uh, three pillars. UN and IOC have been working very closely. Uh, For example, for specific uh, examples, the IOC has established the Refugee Foundation. I appointed the honorary president of IOC, Jacques Rogge, as the Secretary General's special envoy for youth refugees. And he traveled and visited many. Many refugee uh, camps and invited uh, uh, refugees for study and uh, provided some financial support. The one most inspiring moment uh, came during uh, the Rio Olympic Games in 2000, uh, was uh, f- 2016. There were many, more than 100, almost 200 uh, member states participated in that. And most applauded team was refugee team, refugee team. Uh, Thomas Baha invited and trained those athletes who were among the refugees. Of course, uh, they didn't have much uh, time to train themselves. They didn't have much uh, equipment. Uh, but IOC provided as much as they could do. Of course, uh, they were not able to get any gold medals or any medals, but the spirit was uh, there. In 2010, with the Jacques Roger, we traveled together to Zambia, uh, Lusaka, Zambia. And IOC spent the $30 million for Center for Hope, through sports. We opened it together. Secretary General of the United Nations and also President of IOC. In 2014, Thomas Baha and we, I went together to Haiti. After earthquake, there were a lot of uh, despair and difficulties and there were a lot of young people who who didn't know what to do and they didn't have any place to even play. IOC invested again $30 million in Port-au-Prince and built a nice modern sports facilities including 400 meter field track and uh, basketball, volleyball and all even taekwondo you know uh, practicing place, it was uh, very inspiring. And I saw from the faces of um, tens of thousands young people, the hope, signs of hope. In Zambia, in Haiti, I was uh, thinking myself, had there not been anything like this uh, Center for Hope or for sports, then where all these young people would go? They would be wandering around uh, engaging in some, uh, you know, some other, uh, t- t- uh, you know, uh, unwanted activities like, uh, you know, s- this is uh, very important, how to educate the young people, how to give sense of hope to these young people through sports. This is shining examples of uh, IOC and sports.
0: Uh, finally, you've gotten the run with the Olympic torch. I think a couple of times. Are you going to do that I'm, in I'm here I'm going in to do.
2: I'm going to do again uh, in Pyeongchang. That will be my fourth time to uh, participate in torch relay.
0: There is no age IOC age limit for the torch really. No course. age
2: limit. Uh, I'm not. Uh, I'm not good in athletes. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I don't practice much, but. Uh, this Saturday, this weekend, in fact, I have to practice for my 300-meter uh, run to carry torch. So I'm very proud that I started from London Olympics and Sochi Winter Olympics and Rio Olympics. And this will be my fourth time.
0: Well, thank you very much for being with us and speaking with us today, Ban Ki-moon, Secretary General of the United Nations. It's been a pleasure speaking with you.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. It has been a great pleasure to speak with you.
0: This is Around the Rings editor Ed Hula. I've been with Aaron Bauer here in Seoul, South Korea for this edition of Around the Rings Radio featuring the former Secretary General of the United Nations, Ban Ki-moon. Thanks for joining us on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. Have a great day.